Welcome to episode 134, Diversity Made Simple, Moving Beyond Increased Awareness and Getting Into Action, featuring Lambers Fisher, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. Make sure to subscribe to be alerted about future episodes by Clearly Clinical. Learn, grow, shine. Hello to our listeners. My name is Beth Irias, and I am once again graced by the company of Lambers Fisher. Lambers has joined us again after coming on the podcast um, a while back to talk about how therapists can handle it when we have values clashes with clients. And now we're adding to that. Lambers, thank you so much for joining us again. Thanks, Beth. Thanks for having me. So Lambers is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He is a clinical supervisor, and he also is a national trainer on multicultural awareness and diversity. And he also has a company called Diversity Made Simple. And we're going to be talking about that very thing today and how clinicians can move forward from just an increase in awareness about discrimination and racism and actually moving into doing something about it and how we carry that into the therapy room. Um, Lambers, why don't you tell our listeners a bit more about you and how you came to have this specialization? Well, thank you for the introduction. Um, well, as you mentioned, I'm a marriage and family therapist, and I've been doing that for about 19 years now. Uh, I love empowering couples, especially but also families, individuals, and helping adjust, uh, cope with life's various difficulties, and many of which are relational. And uh, depending on whether those are within one's home or within one's community, within one's job, one of the common factors that happens to be a difficulty in relating is differences in cultural backgrounds and and, uh, ethnicity, race, uh, age, uh, gender, socioeconomic status, political beliefs, various different ways. And that's what kind of led to that transition to multicultural awareness and diversity training, because I got a chance to see that the many of the same skills that I use to help couples understand each other despite their differences and overcome some of those barriers and see the, the similarities despite the differences. I realized also it applied to coworkers and community members and realizing you could, just like you can save a marriage from unnecessary discord, unnecessary uh, division, you can also save a job, you can save a neighbor, you can save those relationships, not because of being the savior, but helping them see that they can have similarities and differences coexist. And then you just back up and let the magic happen. You let them overcome those barriers and strengthen their relationships as opposed to avoid them. And so when it becomes more relevant, uh, especially recently with increased awareness of uh, division based on polarizing differences, then I look forward to every opportunity I get in order to help organizations like churches, schools, businesses say, hey, we have some tension going on here because people feel like the differences between them are stopping them from even relating civilly, let alone being productive and working together. Uh, can you help us do that? And I'd love getting a chance to come in there and say, hey, you have your area of expertise. You focus what your business focuses on. I'm not going to touch that, but to help you see each other as colleagues, as real people and say, not only are our differences not a source of division, they don't have to be, they can be sources of strength. We can appreciate the differences we have and use them to help enhance our relationships and, and uh, bring different perspectives as opposed to finding any difference as inconvenient or a detriment or a reason why we have to find similar people. And so um, when it comes to uh, politics or law, legal decisions and things like that, uh, helping people to overcome some of those barriers so that they can maintain healthy relationships with their family members and co-workers or just even cope with what they're watching on the news to help say, well, there are people out there who are different. Yes. And there are people out there who are similar. 
And sometimes uh, those are the same people uh, in, 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 in one body. And so to help people cope with that is a great opportunity to help us all um, cope well with each other. I'm so glad that you took time out to be here again. For those of you who haven't listened to the prior episode with Lambers, please do. Um, it, it's a really interesting and heartfelt discussion about how therapists really work through that counter-transference and still show up for our clients. Lambers, our topic today, diversity made simple, moving beyond increased awareness. What's significant to you about this topic and why we need to be having this conversation right now? Well, there's a, a change happening recently with significant social justice events that have happened over the past year or so that have transition people from a state of uh, ignorance, and I mean that in the most neutral sense of the word, just a lack of knowledge of, of things that they haven't had to deal with on a daily basis, uh, and now have been thrust into the limelight. And sometimes people were aware, uh, but were trying not to immerse themselves in it. Sometimes people were just not aware of it at all. They may have heard about it, seen it on the news or, or a movie or a TV show and say, okay, well, that's not real, or that's being skewed, or that only happens in the movies, or that only happens in some small population. And then recently, there's this increased awareness of, oh, that happens more often than I thought. That has more stakes than I thought. This is impacting more people than I thought around the city, around the state, around the country, around the world. Oh, well, now what do I do? And so there's this transition from uh, within the past year from uh, increased awareness in the, in the first place to now what do I do about it? What, how do I go from just my mind's been blown to how can I make sure that's not a fluke? It doesn't just stay there. I want to incorporate this in my daily interactions, in my life, in my business, in my the service that I provide. I'm a helping professional. How can I help out without necessarily being on the front lines in the, in a, uh, as an activist or, or on a, in a picket line, a, a legal professional, uh, a uh, uh, any, any type of uh, political professional? If that's not my role, what impact, what mm-hmm. difference can I make? Uh, I don't want it to to be just something that I just let go of. But I also don't know if I can do what somebody else can do. How do I find my space? And so this is where I want to make sure we're, we're making the most of our own individual opportunities to figure out where are my strengths? What, what relationships do I have? How can I make a difference where I'm at one person at a time? And, uh, and I think we need to make sure we intentionally do it because if we don't intentionally do it, it can easily, with no negative intent, with no wishing away uh, effort, let it just go by the wayside and get back to normal, yeah. quote unquote. And that normal could be less emotionally taxing, but also more emotionally taxing to those who are impacted more. And so why some people wanted to get back to normal, that it can actually be an unintentionally hurtful goal to some. Absolutely. In that, I hear that grassroots level challenge and Many a mental health professional self-identify as social justice warriors and whatever that means to them. Sure. And the idea that we can be boots on the ground, perhaps impacting change on a larger scale, be it by books, trainings, podcasts, things like that, but also what we are doing in the therapy room and how we're talking to clients about these things for themselves. And I know I've had many of those conversations over the years. So why don't we kind of start there in how you see social justice and therapy colliding, if you will. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, Well, uh, I see therapy as a great opportunity to have a bigger impact on a smaller level because one client at a time, you are helping an individual cope well in their individual selves and their partnerships and their family as a whole. 
And even right then, you're helping one person impact the next dinner time conversation mm-hmm. with everybody they're talking to. And the, you're helping that one person have a different relationship with their coworker uh, and not lose that relationship, have them uh, strengthen relationships, bring different ideas to the table. And so when you have that kind of mindset, then you can impact the lawyers in the big decisions that are happening because you may have the lawyer as a client. But even if you don't have the lawyers as a client, you might have the lawyer's spouse as a client. You might have a lawyer's family members and the conversations that precede the perspective that they go in there with. And like, oh, it makes it a little bit difficult for, for somebody in a position of power and influence to say, I've never thought about that before. I never heard about that before. Do you really expect me to believe this and that? Because you planted seeds in the relationships around them. All of us as a, as a mental health professional field are planting seeds all around. So we're exposing people to ideas, to experiences that even if you don't agree with them, even if you don't uh, agree with the, the conclusions that are brought with them, or even if you've never personally experienced them, you're being exposed to, oh, I've seen that impact somebody I care about. I've seen somebody I care about know someone or hear someone who's wrestling with that. And I'm exposed to different views, which at the very least, even if you hold a different view, it's a little bit harder to have such a polarized view. It makes it it makes it a little bit less, you know, preposterous to think of. I still b- b- uh, mm. believe this or that, but I can see how somebody else believes something different. That's that can change the game. You can still have people who are different size of an aisle politically, or different size of a uh, different religious uh, beliefs, or or whatever the case may be. But to see the other person to as a, as a person, to see the other person as having values that are legitimate, even if you still at the end of the day disagree, you can still work together in a different way because you're taking that vilification out of it. And so we can work with that. We are as mental health professionals, uh, professionals are, are people who wrestle with with the professional wrestlers of the mental of, of the mental health field. And we can help people wrestle with the deep things so that they can respond more healthily outside of it. And so that's what we need. We need. Uh, law enforcement officers can wrestle with those difficult decisions in a healthier way. We need legal professionals, political professionals who can wrestle with those in a healthier way. How can we do that? Not We, we don't do that just with policies and procedures. That's punitive, do this or else. Mm-hmm. But when we have people going into those with healthier mindsets, with a little bit more, uh, not just anger management, but decision, healthy decision making and, and empathy as a whole, regardless of what decisions are made, they'll be made with better healthier decision-making factors uh, if uh, the therapists are planting seeds around them. As you're talking about this, I hear the transition in the application of really systems theory from the personal to the community. So in the sense that I know I have many conversations with clients where you know, someone says, and then they said this to me, and I can't even <laughs> believe it. And how could they have the nerve? And then we work in that space of helping see the other side of the coin, exactly. and that we're doing that already. But for many clinicians to recognize that we could arguably be doing the same to society as a whole to community norms, and taking those same skills. Um, so Gosh, where do we go from here? Because there's so much that we could say. So should we start by talking to the clinicians that are wanting to expand their presence and move from increased awareness about diversity, quote unquote, to actually seeing themselves as part of the change? I think so. Uh, And it starts by just acknowledging what part of the change can look like. There's 
uh, it's in that mindset of uh, advocacy within the therapy room and advocacy outside of the therapy room. It, there's advocacy outside where it looks like a different role, a different position, a different stance, uh, uh, doing something publicly. And if that's if you have an opportunity to do that, then great. Um, uh, get on a board or uh, support uh, an organization, donate or, or let your voice be heard in a different way. That, that's great. But then it's also within the organization or within a therapy room, you can still have that impact just based on things like uh, how you advertise, how you attract other people uh, as clients or other colleagues. Are you making intentional efforts to let the community around your clinic, your organization know that you meet a variety of needs, a greater variety of needs, not just the needs of one group, the, of one organization, of one demographic. We see, yes, we may all look, we, we haven't, we haven't figured out how to, how to uh, diversify our, our staff list just yet. We're working on that. But despite that, we see a greater variety of people and we are making intentional efforts to meet a greater variety of needs. And then, yeah, it does kind of transition into the, the hiring some piece too. We're, we're making intentional efforts to look for a variety. Sometimes it's as clear as uh, just, you know, skin tones, different hues, sure, but that's an easy way to start. But it, that's just one type of diversity, just race and ethnicity. You can find different people, different ages, different political backgrounds, um, uh, religions, uh, various different ways where the focus is not just on how a person looks on a photo, but what perspectives are they bringing? What experiences are they bringing? What values are they bringing? Are you having a, a leadership team where there's multiple areas of input that can be brought in because if you have a, a people from a homogenous group whatever the homogenous group may be it'd be different homogenous groups from from each other but we're welcoming different not reluctantly accepting an exception but we are welcoming variety on an intentional basis then it, it speaks volumes it speaks volumes to those who are not only coming to receive your services but those who are coming to join the team to give those services it's like oh that's a place where i want to work Sure, it's not that much variety in, in the company photo yet, but they're making intentional efforts, partly in who they hire, but also in what needs they meet. It's like those are the things we can do without having to have backed a political uh, uh, official or politician or whatever, without, without having to make the, a new updated stance on our website. But it, it counts. Every little piece counts. But um, you can start there and it starts with awareness. It's like, OK, now I have the awareness uh, of the needs out there. But if you put yourself in that shoes of what are other people seeing when they see me and how can I, uh, when they see me as an individual professional, as see us as an organization, how can I help them feel more comfortable? How can I help them have reason to believe that I can, that we can create that safe space when they come? Their needs will be uh, uh, met as much as we can meet any needs. Their, their perspectives will be heard. Their concerns will be valued more so than dismissed. We can start even just by how we can, how we attract. I like what you said about considering diversity is more than just how somebody looks in a photo and that challenge to consider our presence. For you, you have built your private practice focusing on this idea of being able and willing to have conversations about these issues that many therapists head for the hills. <laughs> like, uh, I can't, Indeed. I don't want to talk about that. That is that it's too close to home. Uh, yes. And also stating for our listeners as well. Yeah, there are sometimes that we cannot have these conversations because Agreed. they are too close. We're in a in certain contexts in a certain part in our lives, whatever it is that we can't. So please understand this is not us saying you have to have these conversations Definitely. right now in a certain way. Um, but for you, you've really made it known that you embrace that diversity for 
prospective clientele, how do you do that? And can you expand also on why you do that? Uh, well, the, the why is easy. Uh, the why is because there are a lot of needs that aren't being met. And without it being clear that we even care, we as mental health professionals, just as a whole, as a collective, even care to meet them, um, then there's a disservice being done. Not a point of finger at, not a judgment at, as much as acknowledging. Sometimes clients can start to con- uh, conclude that they're, to start to question whether their need is even legitimate. Because, well, if they say we meet so many needs and mine isn't on that list, what's wrong with me? I must be so so different, so, so so wrong that they, the big place, the big organization, the most popular place, they meet everybody else's needs but mine, and they start to evaluate their needs as a result. And so we have a vested interest in just helping people see the legitimacy of their need as well. Just a starting point, not be experts at, not know everything about everyone. That's not the minimum standard. As much as I see you, and we're making intentional efforts to, to do that. The rest is, uh, so that's just the why, to meet as great a variety of needs as possible. And if you can't meet every need, which no one can meet every need, but you can't meet the needs uh, in a greater way, then make intentional efforts to find out where uh, that need is being met around you and be the resource. You know, it's that miracle on 34th Street kind of, you know, Santa Claus kind of thing. I'll meet the ones I can. If not, I'll point you in the direction of somebody who can. But I still want you to feel comfortable and welcome asking that as opposed to, ooh, yeah, you one of those people who are concerned about that, that overreaction, that thing that's not even real. That's what people are concerned about. And unfortunately, it's been validated because they've had that experience. So what percentage? Don't know. And it doesn't matter. The concern. The caution is enough for us to say, I want to reassure you before you have an experience to validate or, 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 uh, or deny it. Uh, and then the how is, is just in the legitimacy of, uh, the, the legitimate aspects of what we, we put out there. For example, uh, a lot of this happens before they even make the first call. But when you train your administrative team, whether you're private practice and you are the administrative team or you have receptionists, um, I strongly encourage when I do uh, my diversity made simple uh, trainings, uh, people say, OK, well, you have something for our clinical team. What about for our admin team? You know, the people who just answer the calls or do the billing and things like that. It's like have them come too, because that's the first line. People can get that first impression uh, from the phone call and decide whether they'll even have the first session because the therapist never got even a chance to have to, to build that rapport because the the receptionist or uh, the, the the person answering the phone uh, conveyed. Uh, something unintentionally, some, some microaggressions before they even got there on the yeah. phone. And so it's starting with the, the the first phone call, the the website, what pictures you have on the website. Do all the pictures show one ethnicity? Do all the pictures show one age range, one demographic? Um, what type of needs you meet? We have, um, you know, these many um, support groups or psychoeducational groups. Are you showing that you see the needs of the community around you and say, we're trying to have a group for that too, coming soon. Groups about this. If you have a need that's not on our list, express it here in this form. And if we get enough people, then we'll try to create the list. Like, help us understand what your need is. We're open to that. We don't, we're not guaranteed that we, we're going to spontaneously do everything tomorrow. But if there's a big enough need, we'll try to figure that out because your needs matter to us. And so it's like, huh, you, somebody can look at that and say, I'm not sure, quite sure how this goes, but let me type something in this box. Let me, let me test this theory. That's planting a seed. Mm. And if they look, they look up, it's like, huh, this organization that doesn't look like me, doesn't sound like me, doesn't uh, cater to me, made a list, made a group, made a resource. Or even if not, they say, OK, well, we've got enough um, uh, interest, but we can't do that. But until we do, 
we know this other group that's doing that well. We we sponsor them. We we refer to them. We we partner with them in some kind of way. It makes an impact. Do what you can, and then point people to resources where you can't. At least you validate the need underneath while you're figuring it out. I think you bring up a really important point, and one of the things that I've heard consistently talking to you, yes. There have been more conversations in the last year, particularly relating to race. However, the awareness that diversity is much, much bigger than that. And needing to consider that, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the interview that I did with Dr. Brian Van Brunt about working with people who are white supremacists. And, and he is a white male. So that's, that is a, focus that he's had professionally. But that's one of those things that regardless of your race or ethnicity that may send you (laughs) running and going, no. (laughs) Um, But appreciating from what Dr. Van Brunt was saying, that the research shows basically the more that we other any given population, the more damage we've done, the more we've fueled the fire, whether that's white supremacy or QAnon or um, uh, working with sex offenders, that these, it, it's that balance that you somehow have managed to strike <laughs> and work through of how do you cope with not othering the people right. that your initial impulse is to automatically other and instead right. to try to make space and lead them to resources, even if it's not with you. Exactly. And it, and it goes very practical. Um, it's, it's one small thing, but it kind of is symbolic of, of uh, the rest. When you recognize the, the benefits in reducing the check boxes and replacing them with the underlines, you know, like I said, you know, they get their first call. I'll check you out. Then they decide to come in. I'll check you out. Here, fill out this paperwork and then your new therapist will be in to see you soon. Okay. They fill out the paperwork, ethnicity, this box, this box, this box or other. Maybe somebody will upgrade their other and put an other underline. Hey, you can't be offended. We gave you the opportunity to, to identify specifically. It's like, yeah, but you just forced me to pick which kind of other I am. That gives an impression. Could be a completely wrong impression, but it still gives an impression of how I'm seen here. And that goes for uh, um, uh, ethnicity just as much as religion, just as much as uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, which kind of other uh, as, as opposed to you know, how do you identify eth- ethnically underlined? It's like, oh, I mean, I can put in whatever I want in this box. That's, that's quite empowering. <laughs> you know, I, I, you, you'll figure out the rest. I know, I know it's going to mess up your, your survey statistics, but I right. can put whatever, whatever matters most to me and you'll validate that. Huh. Let's see what else you got. It builds nothing spectacular, no perfectly written uh, statements that goes on the first page of your website that perfectly reassures everybody. It's a good start. Sure. But after that, what do you do to convey, I see you, I see the greatest variety of people. Same thing with um, uh, persons with disabilities. You know, there's seen disabilities, there's unseen disabilities. Do you say, well, okay, we got the wheelchair ramp done. We don't have to worry about anything else or the different accommodations that can be made. You let us know what matters to you and we're open to hearing it. Not we're going to guess every possible disability that can matter to you and and navigate it perfectly. We're going to do as much as we can and convey written and unwritten. If you need something else, let us know. And it's like, huh, I think I can test that theory. Can you do this? You you want therapists, directors, uh, 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 receptionists to, to have the, the practice uh, to be able to say, huh, not automatically. We don't have that. But thank you for bringing that to our attention. 
thank you for for showing us a, a gap that may you know what thank you for bringing it up because there might have been somebody else who didn't feel comfortable bringing it up thank you for helping us see it so that we can meet their need uh, uh in, in advance and so you not only show a welcomeness to their expression to their to their need you show a willingness to meet it and you you thank them you give some kind of agency to it to say you by being willing to risk sharing mm -hmm. have helped other people if you got more let us know that not only encourages them to stay hear what else you can offer them hear the, the other ways you can meet their needs that you're already intending to do as a helping professional but then also reduce the likelihood that they will leave based on a misunderstanding. You're you're planting seeds for more microaggressions such that if you say something that doesn't fit, that seems a little bit not consistent, they can say, huh, instead of just bolting, instead yeah. of just leaving. See, I knew it. I knew you were just like the rest of them. You've planted enough seeds where they can say, well, I mean, usually when somebody says that, I'm out because usually it means this, that or the other. But in this way, you've showed an openness that nobody else has. In this way, you've shown that you're willing to hear when I bring it up. Maybe before bolting, not even prematurely, to protect their legitimate feelings and, and, their, and their care and their vulnerability. But before doing that, maybe I'll stay and see if what follows follows. Maybe I'll express something to see if you'll say, oh, well, I know we, we, we cared uh, in this way, in this way, but no, we don't work with those people. Are you one of those? Like, that's the fear. That's the worst fear. But yeah. you planted seeds enough to get a chance to reassure them, not to get it perfect every time, not to uh, say everything the right way, but to see their need and say similar or different. You still matter. We'll do the best we can. What you're suggesting could have such wide implications far beyond the therapy room in the sense, you know, I'm thinking this day and age, so many clinicians are trauma informed. Or trauma certified or whatever, you know, we have these different waves that happen in psychotherapy. And I think what's happened with quote unquote diversity is it's like, well, I see people who are a different race or ethnicity than me or a different sexual or gender identity than me. And so therefore I have, you know, checked, checked the proverbial box about diversity right. Right. and the recognition that that goes much further and yes. has bigger implications for society for mental health professionals to be at the front end of healing because what we're what we're still fundamentally talking about is trauma but it's not being trauma informed it's being true diversity informed is what you're referring to indeed indeed and once we internalize that not as a specialty as an exception but as core to what we do then it shifts the whole conversation about what multicultural awareness uh, and diversity is. Uh, I commonly, you know, express people, express people that the goal is not to say I work with diverse clients. The goal is to realize that every client is a diverse client. And if we have that as our core, it's like, well, how am I making intentional efforts to make the greatest variety of uh, potential clients feel just as comfortable coming in? Yes, you can have an area of expertise and uh, a certain comfort zone that you do a little bit more so than uh, a little bit better, a little bit easier. That's fine. But everybody can feel just as welcome see seeking your services or, uh, OK, I, I know you're really good at this, that your area of expertise that I see on the business card on the website. But but do you also work with people like me if you're making intentional efforts to cast a wide net despite your area of expertise and then? You can help people feel comfortable before they even come in. It's just playing the seat. Obviously, that'll that'll get tested as soon as you open your mouth. But that's the challenge. You don't want to turn people away before you've gotten a chance uh, to to have that impact. And most people, uh, most professionals, I find, 
uh, are pleasantly surprised when they get people to come in of how effective they can still be. It's like, I thought it would be so different because this one person was from this person background or that background, but I can really do a lot of the same. Sure, I had to learn a few new things, but a lot of what I do already worked as well. It's like, that's the balance. It's not learning some unique specialty that's something you didn't do. It's a matter of finding that ratio, that balance. Uh, and it can be very empowering for the professionals as well as the clients to say, hey, my needs are legitimate. They can be met too. I appreciate that you highlighted that balance and finding that balance and knowing what that is for ourselves and the awareness then of our implicit bias and how that's playing into how we carry ourselves in the therapy room. An example that is coming up for me that we can just use as as an example to to uh, kind of frame this question. So many people, I would almost venture to say every family somehow in the United States has had uncomfortable conversations or uncomfortable sure. feelings about politics in the last five to 10 years. Indeed. And now I see that there are like even support groups for family members that have experienced that fracture because of who voted for somebody or yeah. whether they are anti-vaxxers or they um, are uh, adhering to QAnon or whatever it is. So here you are as a therapist and you have that client that I would imagine has already been pretty well, likely, ha- has been pretty well informed about how misinformed they are by other sure. people in their lives. You know, that, that their family members or whoever it is has said, how could you believe something so absurd? Or how could you do this? That makes you insert judgmental word here. Nicely Racist, put. sexist, whatever, ist, whatever it is. Exactly. How do you make space? I mean, you just outlined some of it. Of like Before you even see them, before you even meet them, you're letting it be known. You can write on the line who you are, what you believe. How do you make space in the room when someone brings in something that is so totally different than how you personally see the world? Well, uh, I split it into kind of two different goals. One is the relational between me and the client uh, personally, preserving that relationship, not for my benefit, but for the ability to continue to help them, but also is helping them preserve and strengthen relationships outside of the therapy room, their family members, their loved ones, things like that. So it's two parallel goals. Uh, and so the first, obviously, is is within the room. I need to make sure that as soon as I see, whenever, whenever I find an, uh, a, a um, I put myself in a situation where a client uh, has a com- very different um, and potentially polarized view for, from mine, um, I go on high alert, not out of fear, out of recognition of the significance of this moment uh, to whether self-disclosure is is made clear or not. I need to make intentional efforts to make sure they feel just as seen, just as heard as they have before I was made aware of this revelation. Because if at any point I built up rapport and understanding and empathy, and then all of a sudden that shifts, that that flicks, the, the light goes out of my eye and they see, oh, I've lost support. Yep. What did I say that was so bad that the most supportive person in my life, my therapist, which obviously our goal isn't to ultimately be the most supportive, supportive person in our life, but uh, oftentimes that's the case, mm-hmm. uh, all of a sudden has has distanced themselves. Yeah, pulled from back. Uh, and we don't. We, we need to make sure that we take on a responsibility, not them, but we take on a responsibility of not making them lose out. And so we can do that simply, uh, not simply as in it's easy, but uh, simple in understanding, but we need to practice. Are reminding ourselves that our values and their values can coexist in this world. 
it's okay. It's not a lessening of ourselves, our own values, if we allow their values to continue. A lot of times people have difficulty holding on to this. Well, I, as, as a therapist, I have to, I feel compelled to set them straight because if I don't, that means I'm less of right. whatever my political political side is. I'm less of uh, whatever my religious belief is. I must not be strong in my faith, for example, if I allow them to still um, have this view. And so we have to recognize that you have your views for a reason. They have theirs for a reason. You, they're, they're good reasons. I'm not declaring what's true or false, but there are reasons that have contributed to where you where you stand today. And it probably will continue to evolve and grow and in a way that's consistent. And there's reasons why they were there. And if we allow them to have that that stance, that autonomy, then we can say, well, I may not like your reasons and your conclusions, but I can see how you came to that belief. I can see how you come today. If you can't, then that becomes your immediate goal. Help me to understand how it is that you came to have that belief, that value. You can take just that genuine interest, even though you know you have a lot a bigger goal there. Partly it's me just trying to understand you. Also, it's me trying to look for something that can help me hold on to the rapport that we maintain. Oh, it gets a little personal at that point, but on for the client's benefit and desperately look for something to hold on to because you might be able to find something a little bit quicker than you thought. A lot of times when you get to that point where somebody says, well, how could you possibly have that view? Well, then I remind myself, especially because I get a chance to uh, do trainings for uh, pastors and faith leaders of various sorts. It's like, well, how can you not see that this is the right way? It's like, well, you in part, you see that because intellectually you wrestle with it and, and you study and things like that. But in part, you one particular person I'm talking to, in part, you got a head start because you grew up in a home that taught that faith. And yes, you were just taught that. It's just what you grew up with. But eventually you chose to internalize it. Can you fathom, can you wrap your head around, I mean, it's in the most respectful way, the idea that somebody else could have had the audacity to have been born in a family that taught them something else. And they had the audacity to believe what their parents and the people around them taught. And then eventually they decided, yeah, I'm going to choose to believe that. I'm going to choose to uh, learn more about that in a similar trajectory. There, yes, there are many possibilities, but can you see how it's just as reasonable, even though if you don't, even if you believe something different, can you at least see how it's not so audacious anymore? It's not so preposterous anymore. What you do with it is up to you, but at least it takes the shock factor out of it. And that sometimes is enough to change that rapport. It's like, oh, I don't like it. But I see that that's a key phrase. I see how you feel so strongly about this. I internally, you say, I don't. I see how you believe this so passionately. Internally, you say, I don't. But if you can see that, that in and of itself can be a great gift because depending on what the belief is, depending on how polarizing it is, that could be infinitely more than anybody else that they're yeah. They just say the right key word and they just get written off. They, sometimes they get fired, depending on what kind of role they are. Sometimes they lose friends. Sometimes they lose family members because they said the wrong word that conveyed the wrong belief. And you can say, I hear you. So what are you going to do about that? How are you going to let that impact your life? And then you can transition. Once you've gotten past that shock factor, you can still maintain that rapport. Then you go relationally. So how is that working out for you? How is that impacting your relationship? Is that something that's worth reconsidering? Or is that something worth holding on to and say, if I have to lose friends, if I have to lose family, this is worth it. But you helping them wrestle with that in a safe space. And then we go back to creating the safe space to wrestle with it. Whatever the end decision is, is theirs to live with. But you helping them wrestle with it, as opposed to what most commonly happens is them having to run to something or run from something. Everybody else is saying that's stupid. Well, that just makes me want to cling to it harder because 
I just, it's almost like the, you know, you used to see it in sitcoms all the time, uh, and, and in movies. Well, you won't be dating that boy, uh, or else you're going to have to yeah, move out of my house. Double down. You're right. It's like, well, I know exactly what's, what's next in that script. Well, I'm, then I'm moving out of this house then. It's like, not that they wanted to move out of the house or that that boyfriend or girlfriend in, in the, in the, in the sitcom was the most important person in life. It's that, that rebellious kind of piece. And we still do it in real life to this day. Mm-hmm. It's like, I believe this a little bit because I heard some things. But now that you call me stupid for thinking it, oh, now I'm really holding on tight to it. And we don't want to promote that in the mental health field. We want to promote healthy decision making. If you own it, own it. But let this be a safe place where we can both poke at it, where we can both test this integrity. And if you still hold on to it, you know you held on to it because of firm belief, because you actually internalize it in some way. And if you say, huh, well, now that I got a chance to look at it from a different perspective, without the threats of losing losing my friendships over it, I can see, well, I don't feel as strongly about it as I had, as I felt pressure to uh, uh, outside of, in outside mm-hmm. relationships. Well, now I can consider something different, but don't tell my family about it because they'll think, you know, it, it was all of them. But you can help. But as long as we're open to whatever decision that they make without trying to skew them, if we if we try to skew them to what we think, wink, wink, a correct answer should be wink, wink. Well, then we've taken off our mental health uh, neutral hat. And we've skewed them to our side. We have to help them find something that's healthy for them. What's healthy for them may not be what's healthy for us. We may They may choose something that would not work at our dinner table, would not work in our community. But if they choose something that will help them interact with their, their loved ones, then we have to be okay with them leaving with that choice. And if we create a safe space that can help them, help them, come alongside them and wrestle with them and be okay with their answer. We'll be pleasantly surprised by how healthy some, some, some of those responses can be. There's something very anthropological about what you're suggesting when we get past that shock factor. And I think the appreciation of this separate, unknown to us culture, that we may have the same skin color, we may have the same religion, we may have the yeah. same uh, sexuality, whatever it is, but that that at the end of the day, doesn't really mean all that much because like that whole adage about like, well, my childhood was normal. Like, what does that even mean? Um, <laughs> right. And so it's just complete diversity for everybody, even if we have these exactly. common factors and that anthropological concept of trying to view it without uh, a concept of how it should be, but just simply yes. how it is. Exactly. Because how it is for one could be completely different than another. That normal is contextual. Normal for me. You know, I was thinking that the kid who uh, goes to a play date for the first time or to another kid's house and realizes that supper time or dinner time is different in their house mm-hmm. than it is in their own house. Or the bedtime routine is different at their house than it is at their house. Like, why do you do things differently? It's like, well, what do you mean? This is the way everybody does. It. Yeah. It's like, no, no. I do it the normal way. You're doing it different. No, no, I'm doing it normal. You're different. It's like, it's all contextual. And when you realize that your way is really your way, not the way, it's the best way for you, the best way that has worked out for you, not the best way. Absolutely. Then it can kind of change things. You can very hold very strongly to a lot of preferences, a lot of beliefs, a lot of values and give somebody else the respect to allow them to have theirs and to say, even if you look them boldly dead in the face and to say, I don't agree, but I hope that works out for you. Like, I'm, I'm going to do me and then for very good reasons. And I respect you doing you. I hope that works out for you. No sarcasm. It's like, that's a good win. And we can do that internally without the self-disclosure to our clients. It's a, it's a great gift. But it starts with that belief that we can have differences that can have same the same value 
uh, to the person that's there. And especially going back to that uh, concept of, you know, we're all diverse. It's like, it's, it, it's, it's essential in the sense that if you look at, you know, various common diversity wheels, you have, you know, various aspects that make up ourselves, you know, how do you identify, you know, ethnically, race, gender, age, political, all that kind of stuff. No matter how many people you find who have certain similarities, mm-hmm. you don't have the same uh, identification on every single category. It's like, oh, no, we're the same. We're that. We're both this. It's like, yes, we are. And we're both this. Yes, we are. But we're different in this way. And we're different in this way. There's not a single person that has exactly every single uh, trait the same, every single characteristic the same. And if you find people who have the majority, those kind of, when I do my, my live trainings, this kind of exercise, we kind of have these categories. I'm not a fan of just identifying for identifying sake, but you have these ideas. How do you identify ethnically, uh, age, age uh, re- religion, things like that? And I have a room of, say, 200 people. The odds are, out of 200 people, you'd be hard-pressed to find 10 that identify the same way on every single list. But let's just say, hypothetically, however small a percentage it is, you find two people. Let's say four, five people who had the same list. Then I'll say, okay, that's good. What about part two? Now rank them. Rank them in the area of importance in your life. And then it mixes all around. It's like, yeah, I'm that, but it's not that important to me. Well, then, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. that. Well, that's the most important aspect of my life. And it completely changes how we interact with each other. Depending on, it's like, wait, you and me, we share this trait. So you're going to go and speak out on this with me because this is the most important thing to our lives. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm that, but it's not the biggest mm-hmm. thing in my life. And that can divide people. I thought I knew you. I thought we were friends. I thought we were family. If we have the same trait, but you don't value it the same way as I do, then you're devaluing me. And that's where mental health professionals can come in and help people realize, no, we can have different internal, personal values and different priorities. But it's not the same thing as character values. I can say I don't value it as much. But if you do, more power to you. I hope that works out for you. Anything I can help you in doing that which value which matters to you, even if I come alongside, I'm coming along because I'm supporting you, not because I'm going to feel as much about it as you do or even more so than you do. And we have to leave room for those differences because if we do, then we'll also have room for the similarities. But they have to both coexist. How can I navigate similarities and differences everywhere? The people who feel like they're the same. I, I, I wish somebody listening to this would look at somebody who they thought was the same and say, wait a minute. In what ways are you different? And I just kind of gloss over it because I just got comfortable in the fact that we're the same. But, wow, we're different. And then look at somebody who's completely different and be like, we have something in common. Huh. Go figure. And co- and let both coexist. That can change the game. I'm smiling because we have a book on our bookshelf at home called We're Different, We're the Same, featuring the ah, Sesame Street characters. Love it. Yeah, yeah. it's just oh. a really good one. <laughs> Sesame Street teaches some golden lessons that uh, that we as adults need to learn. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, it's a good one. I like that book. So I'm curious for you, around the dinner table, for example, extended yeah. family, whatever it is, it's it may be pretty well known who voted for whom or who identifies with what particular aspect of their identity the most, whether that's activism or um, being pro or anti, whatever. Sure. In therapy... We're, we struggle with that idea of sometimes this pressure to be a neutral-ish other. Noted. Carrying yeah. our own beliefs invariably about what's good, what's bad, what's okay, what's not. I'm curious for you, if you're working with a client who has 
beliefs that have gotten them pinned to a wall around the dinner table with their family. And they ask you outright, did you get vaccinated? Do you, (laughs) uh, you know, and you believe in the QAnon thing, right? (laughs) Or whatever it is. I'm curious, how do you handle that in the framework of this this whole conversation of appreciating diversity and Mm -hmm. also being aware of how all of these factors influence community and world at large? Yes, yes, that's a very good one. Uh, it's a very good question because it, it brings in the ongoing challenge we've been having it for decades, that challenge of uh, strategic self-disclosure. Yes, uh, how, do, how do you bring that up? And I am a little bit more flexible on that while keeping my ethical guidelines at, at core. Not ethical as in the code of ethics, but the implications for my mm-hmm. client at, 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 at center, at the center of my mind. And so depending on what it is, I'm a little bit more free or more, more quick to share versus not. But, um, for example, if somebody, you know, asks, well, you know, you feel so strongly about this, right? I split between being prepared at any point to share, um, but making sure I share as little as possible, not because I want to hide, but as much as trying to give the validity of their question, give mm-hmm. the importance of the question. It, this was important enough in our whole relationship. We've kept this about you, but you felt a need to connect in some way on this. This is important. And I don't want to, uh, I just don't feel as comfortable playing the, the game of, um, so what makes you ask and, and, uh, finding eight ways to ask right. that with, with the hope that you'll forget that you asked in the first place. Right. I, may, I may ask that, but, but the goal is, is to be able to say, um, how can I answer the question and say, well, in, in, in fact, I see the merit in that, but I also see both sides as well. And the sooner, the sooner I get to, uh, from, from this is where I'm at since, since you asked and go directly. I mean, we're talking milliseconds. Like I'm not even having a pause between that to invite debate. It's like here, yes, but, or this, but I also see both sides and I take that as a clear opportunity. To say, although I have some certain preferences or I've had certain experiences, X, Y, and Z, to see the value of A, B, and C, I also see the validity in D, E, and F. And no matter what it is, if I agree with them, I do both sides. If I don't agree with them, I do both sides. If I share the value, both sides, but don't see whatever it is. And that way, I it allows me to be consistent, and I don't have to figure out an answer for this group or an answer right. for, the, for the other group. I can have something that I can sustain long term as short as possible. And especially depending on how much I have perceived in my professional therapeutic skills, how much they might be triggered by it. If I'm in making intentional efforts to see both sides, I'm giving them a gift as well as giving us a gift. I'm giving them a gift of planting seeds for them to see the other side um, uh, that they're opposed to. Because whatever it is that they're feeling that strongly about, it's like, oh, I never thought about the other side that way. But depending on what happened in our relationship, if we share the same, sure, easy relief. Oh, I don't have to worry about you. Right. Um, anything about that. But if we oppose, I go straight into even though we may have a difference, I still see your side, too, with as much gravity and validity. And that in and of itself is often an antidote to their art to what they were what they're asking. Do I have to worry about you, too? I don't want the answer to that question to be a yes or a no. I want the answer to that question to be a this is why you don't have to worry about because just because we're similar doesn't mean I can't see the other side. Just because we're different doesn't mean I can't see you. And I'm modeling for them something that they can do. I can have a strong belief. And despite that strong belief, I know how to coexist with everybody else in a way that's not patronizing. And when it's 
comes after I built up rapport and a foundation of genuineness. They know it's not uh, just a, a cookie cutter speech. They know it's not one uh, an easy thing I say. I'm encouraging. I'm staying consistent with what I'm encouraging them to do internally as well as externally. I really appreciate that answer because it is so easy to join when we have something in common with a client and then we become part of the othering ourselves. So yeah. even my therapist agrees with me about blah, blah, blah. <laughs> exactly. And then it's more fuel to that fire. And what you're saying is for therapists to model that um, acceptance of diversity all the time, regardless of whether or not exactly. we're in agreement or in disagreement. Exactly. And it is an easy temptation because a lot of times depending on, I mean, we're, we're people too. So depending on what it, situations we have, we might find ourselves in a, in a situation where a client has a chance to offer that relief. You too? I know, right? And that's not our role. That's not our place. We can't rest in that because it doesn't do nearly as much benefit as it may feel in the moment. It's in the moment it's validating potentially for you and the client you can relate to. Can you believe it when people do that? As much as taking the opportunity, often the rare opportunity to say, yeah, we, you may be able to hold on to that, but let's make sure you're prepared when you leave this room to be able to be your best you no matter what. And even if that's not their primary goal, it's like, ah, thanks therapist. Thanks for helping me be prepared. I hope I, don't, I never need to use that skill because I hope I'm surrounded by people like me. But if yeah. I do, Thanks for helping me not lose a friend uh, if I get shocked by that. And that's a greater gift, the, the gift that keeps on giving, not the gift of a momentary uh, joining. You want the lasting joining. What about, and I'm going on a little bit of a jaunt here. Um, Go for it. What about the topics that are so loaded that they make your eye start twitching? So, for example, whether or not a family is acknowledging one family member's uh, sex abuse. Sure. Really heavy, heavy things. And so you have, let's say, cultural norms about what we talk about, what we don't, what's a big deal, what's not. And yep. then also wanting to join with and support the client in something that to you as a clinician feels inarguably wrong in sure. certain cultures. You just took a deep breath. I'm curious, like, how <laughs> do you add that layer? Because some of these concepts we're talking about when there is a disagreement. Yeah. There is the um, run-of-the-mill diversity disagreement, if you will. Then there is the, no, this is deeply traumatic to me as a person, as a client. Yes. And seeing the other side, even the suggestion of another side, is just going to traumatize me, client, more. Yeah, yeah. And I think you, you, you uh, addressed uh, part of the answer in, in that last part. The realization that seeing the other side has a potential to be hurtful. That's very clear. Um, and it can't be understated. We have to give significant credibility to the feelings and the power of those traumatic feelings. Wouldn't, wouldn't want to minimize that for a second. Uh, that being said, the goal isn't to stay there. And oftentimes the question is not, well, I want to stay here. Why are you stopping me? The question is, why are you pulling me faster than I'm ready to mm. go? And that subtle shift can mean the world of difference. You could be coming uh, after 15 people have said, not only you shouldn't be there in the first place, but let me help you by pulling you along. And so they have to hold on to it. Don't, please, please, therapist, don't be the 50th person to say, just get over it. Just see it from their perspective. Just, just, just. As opposed to 
giving credibility to those feelings. I can see how it can be frustrating when people try to pull you along. I can see how they don't understand that this and they don't understand that that they don't understand that this and they don't understand that that. And that's probably just even a portion of what you're wrestling with. Like show your ability to empathize and then give credibility to it's probably even more than that. No matter what you feel you understand, just allude to the fact that there's probably even more than that because that's how feelings work. So it's completely true. And then identify the challenge. The professional skill is identifying how much validity and credibility and reassurance needs to be done more so than what anybody else has done before they can feel free to and vulnerable to consider someone else's perspective because it's not for their own the other person's benefit as much as to preserve the relationship that underneath they genuinely want to preserve they want to preserve the relationship with the family member with the coworker, with the, with the other person but they don't want to preserve the relationship with the person who is trying to uh, re-injure them right and so the the, the challenge is to uh, to figure out what they need to hear for them to even consider it and if you need to go there and stay there for a while then do it knowing that when it's appropriate time you can go there and then when you do go there go there for the client's benefit not for the other person he said the goal isn't to appease them to, to make sure they're right but in order to preserve the relationship ask, your, ask yourself the question why do you think it is that they hold so strongly to this opposing view Sure. Sure. Option A is they don't value you as a person and they want to hurt you. We have to put it out there. It is in the realm of possibility and more so for some than others. We cannot discount that no matter how much optimism you have to consider that. But it's also possible that they are afraid of the possibility and they are desperately wishing they can minimize it to protect their own feelings and not realizing how much they're hurting you. It's also possible they've had some past experiences that they are not willing to address and to acknowledge yours mean they have to acknowledge theirs. It's so many possibilities that are very unhealthy potentially, but would help you understand what their right. uh, what their actions are doing. And it doesn't mean understand and thus make it okay. Right, thus accepted. Oh, no. But right, exactly. It, it can be understandable. That way I can say I'm distancing myself from you in our conversations, but not because I hate you and not because I've written you off as an evil, inconsiderate, disrespectful person. I transition from that to a still protective. You feel really strongly about this. I don't know why. I genuinely hope it's something legitimate and I hope you work it out. If you want to talk about something else, we can. But on this topic, I won't because I'm protecting myself. We at least have the opportunity to bridge gaps while still protecting ourselves, to see other people in a less polarizing way, not as an appeasing, minimizing uh, way, but as a way to say, your my feelings are legit. And underneath that really hard, aggressive sounding shell, you might actually have unhealthy feelings influencing you too, just in completely different ways. If we can find a healthy way to, to interact without that, I'm more than open to that. If interacting with uh, with you means I have to subject myself to your unhealthy expression of your feeling, I'll respectfully decline, please. Thank you. Let, let me know when you're ready. Uh, I will hope for the best for you. It changes internally how we live. Mm -hmm. it's, again, it's not a gift to the other person. It says I can have my feelings and my feelings are legitimate. And somebody else can wrestle with theirs in different degrees. And if you both happen to be at a place where you can try to hear each other at the same time, great. If you need a therapeutic room to do it with a moderator like a therapist, great. And if not, then hope for the best, but do you. And that gives credibility to feelings. That idea of being really mindful of how one is doing that therapeutically, I think is really important. And the populations that I work with, you know, diversity factors, those checkboxes, and thinking about the impact of 
of child sex abuse, thinking about transphobia, thinking about queerphobia and and the impact of systemic racism and that we as clinicians need to be aware of how our uh, own beliefs about somebody else's process is going to influence the process and our own pursuit of supervision and education and our own safe space with ourselves to wrestle with oh my gosh, that family member, I can't believe they said that to you. Yeah. And trying to walk that fine line. Yeah. And, and that's where that's where it gets to that point where I can't believe somebody could say that, could believe that. And that tells me more about the person who says it than whoever yeah. they're talking to. It not, and not even negatively, that, that identifies the challenge. We need to get to the point where you can believe it, where you can conceive of it, where it can make sense, not stamp of approval, not it's okay, but I can see how based on their experiences, based on their fears of future experiences, they have come to certain beliefs and certain stances. Yeah. Now the question is, how can we make sure that how they express those beliefs, those differences, uh, how they, what they do with those experiences can be the healthiest reasonably possible. And even if that healthy may look different, I've had multiple conversations with people who've gone from very polarizing and very detrimental to healthier and their version of uh, of a healthier conclusion has saved their marriage, has saved their their Thanksgiving dinner, and I know good and well it would not have worked in my family. My it, it wouldn't work. It, their their progress is for them, their environment, what they can what what they can do uh, to save their job, and it may be different for everyone. And so that way, it helps remind me that my way is just one of many accepting ways. And I have to help them find a way that works for them. Against they say, do like I do, value how I value. Uh, help, I'm going to help you find what matters to you and what can help you preserve your relationships, even if you don't have to be the same as them, but to be able to express it in a healthy way. Be able to get to the point where you say, you know, yeah, mom, dad, cousin, I still feel strongly about this, but I, I can express it in a way that can help us interact healthily. I can see you. You model for them how you can see differences and accept them. You model for them how they can see their families. Like, I see that you're, you're, you're trying, Dad. You're trying, Mom. You're trying, Grandma. I, it's not how I would like it, but I can still see the person underneath it. And maybe I, we, can, we can preserve this relationship long enough for us to grow into something different. My next question for you was going to be, you know, what do we do to support clients that are faced with these hard conversations, but you actually just answered it. And that idea of showing them through therapy, if we as therapists are engaging in conversations this way, we create a living example for clients to be able to try that. So even if they have a very strong perspective on something when it comes to Thanksgiving, to (laughs) be able to hold space for themselves and hold space for the other in a way that first and foremost feels safe for the client, obviously being a huge, important factor of that. First and foremost, yes. And and it starts with us trying to conceive of as many possibilities as we can on a daily basis. This doesn't start when we get the client, when we get the shocking, wait, you believe what in front of your face. This starts with every possibility we can in our daily lives to soak up Oh, you know, somebody believes this and somebody else believes that. Can I wrap my head around why this person believes that on the news and in, in, in daily life and work, whatever? Just soak up as much as you can so that you're, you you know you're planting seeds for that poker face when when uh, when your client comes and they say, "Have you have you ever heard this?" They squint up their face and they're like, "What can can you, can you believe what I heard the other day? Can you believe that some people think that?" And you can still maintain that professionalism and say, "Yeah, you know, that's not the first time I've heard that." You know, some people. 
and you get back to that, you know, lobbing out there that that possibility. It's like some people believe this, and you don't just go with one or the other. You, I, I'll see your your one, and I'll raise you a, a three or four. You know, some people believe this and this, that, and the other. You just kind of level it out there, which kind of softens it from one polarizing view to reminding them that's just one of many different views out there. Not many rare, obscure, many uh, other ideas. Just we're all so many. And you model that every step of the way. And then to say, okay, now of all the many, you thought you were choosing between uh, the good option and the bad option. And I just inconvenienced you by really helping you realize you actually have the choice to choose between six or seven options. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, now choose the one that matters to you. Now you're not just choosing the obvious one. Now you're actually having to ask, why would I choose one of these? What are the factors that are important to me? And that process is what sustains them. That's that process. You're not helping them uh, come up with one decision and then later on they have to go back to that therapist who helped them make a, a decision by telling them the right answer. You've taught them how to evaluate difficult things, how to wrestle with similarities and differences within themselves, let alone similarities and differences within other people. And you've given them a tool that they can use for years to come. In the way that you do this, to me, it's just melding into other models. So what you're talking about right there is mindfulness, whether we're pulling it from dialectical Indeed. behavior therapy or Buddhism, and being able yeah. to sit with that present awareness of what is not what should be. There you um, go. And as usual, Lambers, you and I could sit and just keep talking about this. <laughs> um, but to recap, kind of what I've heard, if we as mental health professionals challenge ourselves to sit with the possibility of anybody else's perspective being valid, even if it's hurtful to us, painful to us, whatever that is, sure. based on our marinade, if you will, or based on our mm -hmm. past and possibly future experiences, exactly. we make space to give acceptance and yes. healing to our clients. And yeah. in doing so, give clients a springboard to do it in their lives because we serve as a primary safe example of that. Exactly. And a therapy room can be a safe place to wrestle with things that aren't safe to talk about in one's daily life. Then that is a gift in and of itself that can have significant implications for their daily lives as a whole. So Lambers... How do people learn more about you and about your work? And are there any other resources you recommend to our listeners as they grapple with taking off our whatever colored glasses and being aware <laughs> that we're all wearing these glasses that are changing the way we see the world around us? Indeed, indeed. Well, if anybody's interested in learning more, they can go to my website, diversitymadesimple.com. Uh, I have my online on-demand training there, which is a good crash course to a lot of stuff that we're talking about. Um, I have a, like a full day, six hour version, as well as a 30 minute crash course that uh, many have described as 30 minutes packed uh, more than a lot of day, day long trainings. And so I try to make it practical and, and beneficial. And then if, if anybody wants a little bit more uh, direct impact and say, hey, I can come and talk to your group and, and do a training. You can also have, have a book me page on there. You can find out more even just for consultation. Um, I look forward to spreading this around so that more people are working on this and we can all be helping our clients in the same way. And helping ourselves. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us again, Lambers. My pleasure. And again, for our listeners, please check out Lambers Past Podcast episode with us where we were talking about when therapist and client values clash. And thank you again. You've just finished listening to another exclusive continuing ed podcast by Clearly Clinical. 
If you like what you just heard and you need continuing ed credits, please visit us at clearlyclinical.com to check out our one-year membership, where you'll have access to our growing library of continuing ed podcast courses. Clearly Clinical, where our goal is to help you learn, grow, and shine.